ask not for whom the bell tolls. Tonight, I'm going to lead you in a reflection on death and dying. Everything dies. At this moment, there are millions of cells dying inside of you. Luckily, millions of cells are being born. Cells die, people die, civilizations die, planets die, suns die. Our sun is expected to go into Nova in about four billion years or so, which means that it's in midlife right now. Maybe that explains a lot. <laughs> Moments die. This moment there, where is it? Sometimes I regard meditation practice as a practice of dying to each moment, never to return. The Buddha said in his wonderful way of using simile and metaphor and uh, colorful language for the listeners of his time, he said, just as in the jungle, the elephant's footprint is supreme. Just so, of all of my mindful, mindfulness meditations, the meditation on death is supreme. Tibetan Buddhists say, a day that goes by without reflecting on your own death is a wasted day. In, the, in Zen, they say, die before you die. Then when death comes around, the Grim Reaper, you can say, been there, done that. <laughs> no problem. Of course, reflecting on death is partly, in the Buddhist tradition, done so that it, uh, it arouses our intention and our energy to practice to become liberated, realizing how precious this human life is, how short, how uncertain. We are then motivated to practice harder, longer. Reflecting on death and our own death in particular can really allow us to appreciate, bring us into full appreciation for being alive and this moment of aliveness and the faculties that we have. There's a great West African saying, when death comes, may it find you alive. The Buddha told his followers to go sit in the charnel grounds, to go and do their meditation practice among the bodies in the charnel grounds, being prepared for cremation. He said, go and look at the bodies in different stages of decomposition and do this reflection. If a monk sees a body dead one, two, or three days, swollen, blue, and festering, thrown in the charnel ground, he then applies this perception to his own body, verily, my own body is of the same nature. Such it will become and will not escape it. And he goes through nine different stages of possible decomposition that you can look at and reflect, do this reflection. This my body, my body is the same and will become 
like this, all the way down to a pile of uh, crumbled bone. Now, we don't have a charnel ground handy, uh, but we do have our imaginations, and we do have our understanding and our wisdom. So, um, I will guide you in a reflection. Uh, you can be comfortable. You don't have to get into any kind of serious, rigorous meditation po posture. Some people actually like to do this practice lying down. <laughs> A little more realistic, perhaps. <laughs> Give it up to gravity. Uh, <laughs> you'll all be asleep before long. I, I, I suggest actually that you, you don't get down there, but you know, just. So let's begin by closing our eyes, bringing our attention inward. And feel your body, feel your basic aliveness. Feel the energy in this body, the vitality of it, your ability to hold yourself upright, if you remained upright. <laughs> It's not funny. <laughs> you feel the warmth of your body. The sun's energy being converted into your living energy. Be aware of your senses, open, alert, receiving stimuli from inside. Feeling the touch of your skin on the floor, in your clothes, the sound of my voice. Be aware of consciousness. This ability to know of yourself seated here. Know of yourself in this body and in the world. Feel this phenomena of the living, breathing you. The Buddha asks us to reflect on two main points. One is the certainty. The 
the absolute certainty that this, this body This person I call myself will, for some reason, perhaps unbeknownst to us now, for some reason will die, will cease to be. The second point he wants to, us to reflect upon is the fact that we don't know when it will happen. Our lives are somewhat fragile. There could be an accident. We could be harboring a disease or a weakness that we're unaware of. It could happen at any time. As you feel your aliveness, reflect on its impermanence. In this form, this being that you call yourself, so now we will imagine, sense, feel that we are actually given the time of our death, and it will be just a few days hence. Instead of a year to live, the exercise is a couple of days to live. So perhaps you want to imagine saying goodbye to loved ones, to friends. Perhaps you imagine doing some of your favorite things for the last time, or visiting special places, a house of worship. Having a particular meal. Again, reflecting on the certainty that this will happen. It might be likely, we don't know, that you will know that you only have a couple of days. Maybe not.
So we come close to the moment. You might visualize yourself lying down in a bed, at home, perhaps in the hospital. You're aware now that the time is drawing near. The energy is beginning to leave your body. The senses are receding. Sound growing dim. The light fading. Acknowledge the certainty that this moment will arise. It will come about with all certainty. So for some reason, The heart begins to beat irregularly. And then stops. The blood no longer circulates through the body feeding the cells, which begin to die. The flesh begins to turn cold. brain no longer receives oxygen, the cells die, the memory that only you held of your own life is erased. Perhaps your memory will live on for a number of generations in stories, pictures. But at some point there may be no trace at all of your life here on this planet in this form. This body without life now needs to be disposed of. You might visualize yourself being placed in a coffin, in a box, lowered into the earth, covered with dirt.
or perhaps slid into a oven, fire, being cremated, your basic elements returning to heat and carbon ash. As you reflect on this process, what feelings, if any, arise? Sorrow? Fear? Perhaps relief? As you acknowledge the certainty of the end of your life, So now let's practice resurrection. Feel your breath. This wind of life blowing through you. Feel your heartbeat. You can place your fingers on your wrist or at your neck if you wish. I read that we get a few billion heartbeats in an average life. Do you know which billionth you're working on? Feel the strength of your body, its warmth, the openness of your senses. The aliveness of your consciousness. Feel your aliveness in this moment. Considering all the time that you weren't here before you were born, all the time you won't be here after you die. In your ontological history, this moment is very precious, very, very rare.
Welcome back to life. I'd like to get just a little bit of uh, reaction to that exercise, whether you were actually able to go there, get there, uh, what feelings arose for you, if any, when you could imagine yourself dying or dead. Anybody uh, feel relief? I often feel relief. Get to take off the mask, at least this mask. Anybody? Uh, reactions? Did you get there? Yeah. I felt myself kind of rising out of my body. So I, when you were talking about the body, you know, me doing a race and the body just exposing its place, but I'm not in my body. I was, I was kind of rising above it. And the, the, the overwhelming feeling that I had was just this huge sadness that, that he who the happiness didn't see my small children show up and my surprise and sadness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's often the, the place where people really feel, the, feel sad, is at the moment of thinking about saying goodbye. It's not so much losing themselves, but it's not being able to see loved ones. Yes? Mm-hmm. Good. I've never done this exercise before. <clears throat> and it, <clears throat> it wasn't at all what I expected, the feeling from this exercise. <clears throat> I wasn't sad at all. I, I felt um, in bed my loved ones around me that it actually felt good because I that um, the love between us was so strong mm-hmm. and and that I felt like I wasn't going anywhere I would be in the hearts of many people for many generations and even as <coughs> My individual existence ceases to be remembered. <laughs> that part of life that I played is going to remain, mm-hmm. just like the part that came before me has become part of me. And then my my uh, particles that are breaking down in the earth aren't going anywhere. Even after the sun's done hmm. with its cycle, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not leaving home. <laughs> it was just different than I expected. Uh huh. Did you did you all hear that? I, he felt uh, okay. Uh, nothing is created or destroyed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I yeah. Could you repeat it? She said, as somebody who has gone through uh, facing my death for months at a time, I can say that this experience was a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, since I've had my own near-death experience, there was some part of me that kept saying, you get it all wrong, you're getting it all wrong. Mm-hmm. Because there's some point at which you really 
you don't you're leaving your body and you're tuning into a larger life that's um, ecstatic mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, expansive. So the part that you were, you know, to me that's sort of like the little story that's <laughs> That's wonderful that it's wonderful that you that that's if that's what you believe you find can find great no, sol solace in it. It's what I experienced. Right. And you can find great solace in that. I wish I I wish I believed that that's what would happen. I don't know. <laughs> There's a great uh story about the guy, the disciple comes to the Zen master and says, what's it like when you die? And the Zen master says, I don't know. The disciple says, you're a Zen master. And the Zen master says, yeah, but I'm not a dead Zen master. <laughs> I mean, I, I really honor, you know, that experience and that sense uh, of, of uh, it, not re it being a little death and not... Uh, into a bigger life. Uh, down here, Deb. And then. Okay. I, I agree with you, Amanda, that, and I, and I, and I've also experienced that, where I, when my when my mother died, though, before she got to that place. You know, there was like the seemed like this big struggle for the spirit to leave the body. It was just it, it just had they had hung out together for so long, <laughs> and it really it like my mom. She was pretty wonderful and didn't want to leave, and that was really hard and really slow. So I thought your death was good. <laughs> yeah, it was a good death. <laughs> thank thank you. I should have worn my black hoodie tonight, you know. <laughs> Too late. Um, I felt I felt uh, a sense a sense of relief relief at having come that close to death and having come close a couple of times in actuality. I still have to admit that. For many, many years, whenever I've heard of someone dying or having died, I envied them, the relief. Mm. And I wanted to also mention um, a sense of gratitude for um, a practice that I started a couple of years ago, the four thoughts of beginning and ending each day with the knowledge that I'm one day closer to my death and that it really has changed my practice to know all of that. Can you give us the four thoughts? Oh, the four <laughs> That um, life is impermanent. That I am today at the end of a precious day and that I'm one day closer to my death whenever that's going to be. And that the life itself is so precious, and the actions and perceptions and meanings given to my experience are driven by this story of karma that is my own and everyone else's. And um, um, But it does bring suffering. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots and lots of it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, maybe uh, just two more in the back. Um, <clears throat> this exercise actually uh, surfaced some feelings I've been avoiding. I think uh, some of you know that um, I had a very uh, I had a bad accident this Monday. 
My car was totaled. A um, couple of people pulled me out. And um, fortunately, I was brought up in India, so we, we were taught since we were kids that basically dying means just taking off a shirt and you will wear another shirt. Mm-hmm. And so, but I've been avoiding those thoughts for the past few days uh, because every time I would think of the smoke in the car and how my car was crashed, um, there was a lot of fear, a uh, lot of fear, a lot of life-wasted feeling that, my gosh, you know, what have I done, what have I achieved? Nothing. Uh, so I think this exercise, you know, bought me, you know, I kind of visualized that I did not come out of the car, that mm-hmm. that was it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it could have been possible because there were flashes that happened, micro flashes. Um, I don't remember too much about it. And I decided to come back from the emergency room back here because I thought that the, um, the psychological trauma, I think by being at the retreat, uh, I am in physical pain, uh, that this would heal. So... I thank you for the exercise, and um, so from I, at least the feeling of fear has semi-vanished because of the exercise today. So I thank you all for your blessings. Thank you, thank you, and I, I think it was really brave of you to come back and do this practice after having that experience, and and to be here with us. I. I I honor that a lot. Thank you. Okay. Um, there was one. I, there was one more, wasn't there? Or did Did you wanna? Right here, Deb. Uh, quite some time ago, my dearest friend uh, died. He had been in a coma uh, about two weeks, and uh, I flew down from Northern California to L.A. where he was and spent a weekend there. And literally about a minute before I left, he opened his eyes and uh, kind of whispered something to his wife, and uh, she was beaming, and she said, Oh, he just told you he loved you. And then he closed his eyes. It was it was just perfect and beautiful. But I began reflecting, why is it so important that we be able to say goodbye? Uh, had I not been there, I would have had regret uh, and additional sadness, and I would have carried with me uh, that feeling for a long time. Uh, but... Um, the importance of the relationship was when we were together all those years. And it was fortuitous that he, you know, it was beautiful, but it it was luck (laughs) that he uh, was able to say that. And um, uh, it made me think about um, uh, the just what the meaning of that is uh, to to be able to say goodbye, why that's so important. I, I think we want, you know, closure. We want some kind of relationship uh, closure as we're, as the physical body is, is gone, as the person is gone. I, I don't know. So thank you all. Um, I find that uh, this exercise, sometimes it really works, sometimes it doesn't work. But I think it's really a useful reflection. When it, when it works, even a little bit for me, I, I come out of it really appreciating just about everything in my life. The taste of food, the, you know, 
people I love, uh, you know, the, the air, the, it, it all just becomes so, so rare, rarefied and, and heightened in my, in my senses and in my consciousness because I know it's temporary, you know. It's, I mean, some of my melancholy often kicks in as well, you know. It's like there's a, there's a kind of, there's a little bit of sadness over everything too. Um, any anything you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to add? No. I have a few poems here I'd like to share with you. I don't know if you uh, are aware of this, but in in Japan there's a tradition of writing death poems, um, and it's cheating to write your death poems a long time before you die. Uh, <laughs> You're supposed to write them just as you're approaching them, the time of your death. And uh, they're kind of, you know, showing your nonchalance or your attitude, your, your acceptance of, of this fate. Uh, when the, the samurai clans used to fight and, and they'd capture uh, prisoners and take them back for execution, they would often have the executioner and the execution block, and right next to it would be a stand with ink and a quill, and the man who was about to be executed would write his death poem and then be executed. So they really honored this tradition, and it was very popular among uh, wandering artists and monks, very uh, popular among Buddhists uh, in Japan. So I'll read you a few of these these poems. There's a wonderful book called Japanese Death Poems, and I highly recommend it. Uh, this was a samurai warrior, Sukitomo. He wrote this, this poem just before his execution. All five manners of my fleeting form and its four elements return to naught. I put my neck to the unsheathed sword its cut will be but a breath of wind. Another samurai named Shoan. The sharp-edged sword unsheathed cuts through the void. Within this raging fire a cool wind blows. Uh, this one is pretty interesting. A man named Ota Dokan, a scholar of military arts and a poet was stabbed as he was bathing. Clutching the dagger that pierced his body, he uttered the following death poem. So you can only assume that the man who stabbed him uh, <laughs> wrote it down for him, you know. His poem is, Had I not known that I was dead already, I would mourn my loss of life. Sokan, a poet, uh, one of the first composers of haiku, Buddhist, Sokan says, should someone ask where Sokan went, just say he had some business in the other world. <laughs> Another poet um, wrote, bury me when I die beneath a wine barrel in a, in a tavern, with luck the cask will leak. <laughs> And a Zen master named Kozan, uh, a few days before his death, he called his pupils together, ordered them to bury him without ceremony, and wrote this poem on the morning of his death, laid down his brush, and died sitting upright in meditation, which was very auspicious to die sitting upright in meditation. His poem, empty-handed I entered the world, barefoot I leave it, my coming, my going, Two simple happenings that got entangled. <laughs> and a couple of haiku death poems. Joseki died on the 21st day of the seventh month, the age of 85, 1779. This must be my birthday there in paradise. This is death poem. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Yes, and uh, this poem I, I gave to Trudy when her mom died last summer. Uh, I thought I had it. You, you can you recite it? Yes. <laughs> uh, I thought to live a century or two, and yet death comes to me. I thought to live a century or two. How could death come to me, a child of eighty-eight? Yeah. Kiba died at the age of 90. My old body, a drop of dew grown heavy at the leaf tip. I like this one by Tiryu. Though I may live another hundred years, the same world the same cherry blossoms, the moon is round, the snow is white. Finally, I, I want to read my favorite death poem, which is uh, by Mary Oliver, called When Death Comes. When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn. When death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut. When death comes like the measle pox. When death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon a time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility, and I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, toward silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I want to say, all my life, I was a bride married amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms.
have time for about a half hour of walking. Enjoy your life. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.